It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time. Time for silver and black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. Thanks for being with us. We got lots to talk about, of course. Raiders camp underway now in Henderson. And so we're going to go through some of that. Our special guest today, one of our favorite guys in the business, Jesse Merrick from News 3 Las Vegas. He covers the team. He's in the building every day, knows his football. He's been on the show before. So we're going to talk to him about that and get his impression of kind of what's going on in the building and what's happening with the Raiders as they get ready for this big training camp Uh, later on, we're going to do position breakdown. We're going to do defensive line. Yes. We know kind of the improvement at edge, but what about inside that push that Mo and I have talked about so much here on the show, how are they going to get it? Who's going to be the leading candidates to take the roles there and who's going to be in the rotation uh, to do that. So now I bring in my co-host that is Mr. Mo Mo and he's senior writer at Bleacher Report, as well as being the lead columnist over at sportsnot.com. Mo, here we go again. We're getting into the camp talk. Getting into camp. Uh, rookies reported Monday. Well, we're report, well, reported Monday. And Wednesday, the veterans will follow. And then from then on, the journey is on to win a Super Bowl. Uh, and I said, yes, I said Super Bowl. Not just to make the playoffs and win a game <laughs> in the playoffs, but get to a Super Bowl. That is the goal. There you have it, everybody. Mo said the Raiders are winning the Super Bowl. He said it right there. No. He said they... <laughs> He said they should want to win the Super Bowl, so don't hold them to that, but we'll get more into how this team is getting geared up. Now we add in our special guest. We're uh, glad uh, to bring along with us uh, Jesse Merrick, who is no stranger to this show. Jesse, thanks for joining us here on Silver and Black today. For sure, guys. I can't believe we're already talking training camp. It's pretty incredible that it's already almost here, especially when you think about everything that's you know transpired from the end of the season till now. It's setting up for a pretty exciting year. It is. There's so much going on. By the way, for those of you watching the video on YouTube, Jesse's got a a Raiders painting behind him. There it is. So so before you get crazy and say, well, that looks like a kid did it. Jesse, explain to us what that painting is, how it was made. Yeah. So here I'll slide all the way so you guys can see it a little more. But uh, essentially, one of our photographers, he painted this one, Jeff Burris. He actually painted it with a ketchup bottle. It's supposed to be a little more (laughs) abstract. And uh, he said, he's like, hey, man, you want it? And I was like, heck yeah, man, like throw it up there, you know, represent Raider Nation in the office. Obviously, I got a lot of the Vegas sports stuff in my office here, Um, you know, so I wanted to show Jeff some love with his painting. It gets a lot of pub. A lot of times when I'm doing Zooms and stuff, it always catches people's eye because it is, you know, a little more on the unique side. So uh, I love having it back there. Yes, I love being in the inter sanctum over at News 3 with Jesse. He's got his lights, which is the USL soccer team. He's got his aces. So he's got the Mark Davis ownership group represented up there. Well, we see the Foley's off to the you got the whole Vegas thing going, uh, which is which is you got it all. And and of course, we're going to talk about Raiders. Uh, I'm in a hotel room here in Vegas, actually, uh, not in my usual studio, which is why I have I have this weird painting, which. I don't know. I think I think that is that, is that as cool as yours, Jesse. But <laughs> yeah, who, who painted that one, Scott? <laughs> I I don't know. You have to ask Caesars Entertainment Group, uh, whoever they buy their stuff from. Uh, but Jesse, let's let's dive in because you know you are a guy in the building every day. You cover this team uh, really really well. Uh, I want to start first with kind of you know, the, 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 the tumultuous offseason. You talked about a little bit with all the changes, most of them great, right? But at the same time, they had some issues with defections, the lawsuits, the Dan Ventrell issue. They bring in somebody I'm really excited about because of her Las Vegas roots. That's Sandra Douglas Morgan. For people outside of Las Vegas, because Raider Nation is international, for people outside Las Vegas, though, share with us kind of the mood around her taking over and what it means to have a native Las Vegas. Yes, she moved there when she's two, but that counts. Uh, For her to be in charge in the market where the team is continuing to build its base locally. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement around this hire, which, you know, probably isn't something you can say a lot, you know, in terms of a team hiring a president. Um, you know, for this one, the fact, again, like you noted, moved here when she was two, but for all intents and purposes, she's Vegas born through and through. And really, I think when you look at it, I believe and I'm going to butcher this title because I have a million times already because I, I stick to sports. <laughs> I don't work in a lot of the gaming things and stuff, but she was the uh, head of the gaming control board or something to that effect out here. Uh, for multiple years has worked in many different roles throughout the gaming industry has contacts up the wazoo i mean whoever it is that she's trying to contact is going to pick up the phone and i think that's massive and again just having those ties to vegas is even bigger as you know the raiders continue to kind of ingrain themselves in this market here in las vegas and really continue to grow here i think it was a great hire you know she was up there funny obviously very intelligent very well spoken you know really commanded the room and you know we always say this with coaches you know they won the press conference or they didn't I think she knocked this one out of the park, did a great job in this one, was fielding every single question, you know, with ease and said she's not running or hiding from any of the things that have happened there before. She's coming in ready to take on those things, you know, head on and said she plans to meet with every employee in that building to talk with them, you know, to try and see how she can improve this organization, you know, from the inside out. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's so important. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mo. I like what you said about her meeting those challenges on and i noted that in a previous episode that she wasn't afraid to address what had been going on in the front office so now that the raiders have their president in place could we expect more hires coming in behind her because as you know there's a lot of turnover in the front office over the past year yeah you know i would be shocked you know when anytime there's someone new that comes in i think you know anything can happen you know new faces can come in at, at any level no matter where that is you know so I think as she really kind of sinks her teeth into it, and she noted in her interactive press conference, you know, I haven't had a chance to really dive in and do all that stuff yet. So as she starts that process, I can almost guarantee there's going to be some hires that do come in, uh, you know, where she starts to really realize like, okay, this is where I need help. Because one thing Mark Davis has always said, you know, for him is he, he knows he doesn't know how to do everything. So he delegates. And I think that's something that she's also going to come in and do and say, okay, hey, look, these are some of the problems or the things I want to fix. These are the people that I need to help me do that. And I'd imagine those are the people that uh, she'll bring in, you know, again, to kind of try and help it and move that part of the uh, organization forward. No doubt about it. And Jesse, the thing Mo and I have talked a lot about on the show here is, and, and we're not there every day, right? So, but we sense the difference in the organization with Dave Ziegler, with Josh McDaniels and the way they go about business. To me, it's very palpable from the outside. And of course, the reports we get from you guys uh, on the field every day out there at practice in the building has been that. Talk to us a little bit about how you perceive the kind of vibe around the building and how business is being different or done differently under the current regime. Yeah, I mean, you notice it right away when you go out to practice because they're a million miles away. It's much like the Patriots. <laughs> you need some binoculars to be able to see, you know, what you're looking at at practice. But all kidding aside, honestly, you know, it's a much more, I don't want to say business-like because the guys are still out there having fun. And Josh has made a point, you know, to say, look, he, he wants his guys to be able to do their thing, to, you know, to do the thing that's gotten them to this point in the NFL. But it is also the thing that I keep kind of hearing over and over and over again throughout a lot of the guys anytime they do any media availabilities with us or anytime they're on any other podcasts and things like that, is they all talk about the detail with this coaching staff and this new regime as a whole, including Dave Ziegler. You know, not to say that Gruden and Bisaccia and those guys didn't have the detail, but certain coaches obviously concentrate on different things. And that's the thing that sticks out to me is just the vast amount of detail that comes in with this Josh McDaniel staff. I was recently listening to Foster Moreau talk about it, uh, you know, on a podcast recently. And he was saying, you know, instead of each of them kind of breaking off into their own groups, on offense at least, they're all meeting together. So they're all learning the scheme as a whole and learning what the running backs do, what the offensive linemen do, what the receivers are doing. So it's like kind of a wholesale learning process for everyone involved so that they can say, hey, look, I know what X guy, you know, whatever guy is doing on this play and what his aim is, and that can help me, you know, create a better opening for him or, or whatever it is in any situation. And I think that's a really unique way to go about it because so many times you see them breaking off into these groups more often than not and it is kind of the secular you know the way he described it i think was as mercenaries a bit well now it's all one whole collective thing and i think that's going to be very beneficial for the team you know because again when you're learning learning a new scheme there's so much that goes into it but having a command of the entire thing if you know what the receivers are doing if you're a tight end if you know what the offensive linemen are doing if you're a receiver that's just going to help your understanding of the offense as a whole and can kind of help push things forward faster so, Jesse, with training camp kicking off, I want to get your quick opinion. 
Uh, what group, what position group are you most forward looking to seeing on the field? Because I know I, I want to see how the secondary shakes out because there's questions there. Scott may want to talk about the defensive line, which we're going to talk about today, but I just wanted your opinion. Which, what's intriguing to you going into training camp? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm a bit biased because I'm a former receiver, so I always, anytime I go out there, that's the first thing I'm watching. And obviously, you know, with all the tools that are in that receiving core now and bringing in Devontae Adams, so I'm definitely going to be watching that. But in terms of, like, question marks and things that are, you know, intriguing going forward, you know, storylines with this team, I I'm really watching this offensive line because there are so many different, you know, pieces throughout this and question marks along there of how things are going to shape up. And, look, when, when you – Think about the simple fact of how many weapons this offense has. It's great on paper, but it's not going to be able to go to the same effect that it could if the offensive line isn't solid, isn't what we've seen this Raiders team have consistently over the years. The last couple of years, their offensive line play has dipped down, so they need to solidify that part of it in order for this offense really to reach you know, its, its uh, peak. Yeah, and Jesse, the, you talk about the offensive line, and I'll, I'll stay kind of in that realm just because – you have a new coaching staff. You have all, all new coaches throughout, including at the positions. So you have the offensive line, which you got to shake out with the with the players and who's going to start, who's going to play right tackle, which we know Alex Leatherwood's going to get the shot there, but who's going to fill in those other spots? What about the just the change in grasping Josh McDaniel's scheme? What about that? How, how much time? The, the schedule gets busy and tough from the beginning. They're not going to have a lot of time, so they have to get that pretty quickly. How much of a challenge do you think that will be for this team? Yeah, I'd imagine pretty challenging because, you know, you look at this offensive line as a whole, aside from Colton Miller, you know, it's a lot of young guys. Denzel Good as well, you know, not necessarily a young guy by any means, but, um, you know, a young group that kind of sort of, I think, just had the previous, you know, offense really figured out. And now you go and throw that in there. And then also the fact that the offensive line is a developmental position. So not only are you working on your craft, trying to better that, but you're also trying to really grasp and get a handle on this offense. Now, having said that, uh, this offense, I don't think is going to be as complicated as the previous one under John Gruden. I think things will be simplified a bit more. And I think Josh McDaniels is doing it kind of, you know, a lot of coaches will hear them talk about installing it in pods. And that's basically, you know, from my understanding, what they're going to be doing throughout camp and everything like that. And as the year goes on, I think, you know, given the fact that the question marks that we have, and I'm sure they do about this offensive line, you know, they're not going to do anything uh, that they're not comfortable with. And I think, again, that's where it's going to be. You know, the, the offensive line is going to be the motor for the rest of the, this offense and will define where it goes. So I think their comfortability with this scheme, what they're being asked to do is we're going to kind of really see, you know, how much the handcuffs come off of this offense, you know, and at what point of the season that really does happen. What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of talk about the offense, and a lot of people are excited about the offense. Was, you mentioned Devontae Ham's coming in, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller, another year with Derek Carr. But you're around the team. How, how is the team taking to their new defensive coordinator? I know Gus Bradley last year brought in a lot of his guys. So do you get a feel that the guys are excited about the new scheme? Like, what, what is the vibe there on the defensive side of the ball? I do, yeah. I think they're very excited about it. You know, the thing that always comes up, you know, when they talk about Patrick Graham is just the fire that the guy has. And a lot of them say, you know, he's like an interesting dude. I've heard that they refer to him to that <laughs> yeah, multiple yeah. times, many different players, which I think is great because, you know, he just brings a different attitude, you know, to this group. Gus Bradley was a really cool dude, seemed very chill, uh, you know, and had his own quirks here and there and things that he said and did. But Patrick Graham, you know, it just seems like this guy, you know, for lack of a better word, is just a football nerd and is going to be, you know, bearing down and really going to make this scheme interesting for these guys. You know, the thing that he keeps saying so many times is multiple, multiple, multiple. That's what we keep hearing about this defense. And I really think that's going to be the case. No longer is it going to be, hey, we run this cover three. You know, that's just our thing. We're going to do it every single week, no matter who we're playing. I think we're going to see a much more game specific game plan going into each of these weeks. And so things are going to be changing week to week, which I think will be more interesting, one, for the fans, but also, two for the players, too. Um, you know, there's obviously going to be things that stay the same and rules and, and stuff like that. But, you know, overall, I think we're going to see the scheme change a lot. And it is going to be really heavy, you know, defensively involving uh, the defensive backs, you know, which is one mirrors the rest of the NFL, obviously, you know, the way that things are going. But also specifically, that's something that Patrick Graham has talked about ad nauseum about the fact that, like, look, hey, we need six solid DBs 
in order to be successful. And I'm honestly just more curious to see, you know, how he employs those guys, but also, you know, how he's going to put these guys in the best position to succeed and what he sees as their strengths. You know, anytime a new coaching staff comes in, you kind of get a peek or a view of how they view these guys by where they place them on the field and different plays that they call and, and what things they're having them do. So I'm excited for that because you get another kind of peek into the evaluation process that they're going through with these players. Again, Jesse Merrick, News 3, Las Vegas is our guest. Jesse, let me ask you this, and it's going to be since you were a wide receiver and you played the position uh, and you talked about at the top of the segment here about the, the much anticipated Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, and of course, all the history going back to Fresno State and the buddies and their best friends uh, and all of that is great. But, you know, from playing the game, when you get on the field, doesn't matter how much you liked each other and you might have played years ago. You have to build that chemistry in the flow of the game and in the offense. The chemistry overall, you know, that's one of the things that I'm going to look for in camp is just how fast they can get on the same page. For you, what, what's going to be the early telltale signs that they're either progressing nicely? It's not going to happen overnight, but they're progressing nicely or maybe they're running into some difficulties. You know, I mean, the biggest thing, honestly, is just going to be watching their interactions, you know, and seeing what they're doing, you know, on the sidelines. How much is verbal? How much is nonverbal? You know, when you've got that kind of connection with a quarterback, so much of it is honestly nonverbal. You just give them the look and then they know exactly what, you know, either a person really wants to do or supposed to do in that situation. So I think the more we hear from them, the more they're still working on, you know, continuing and building that, uh, you know, that chemistry. I think the less that we hear verbally from them. I think we'll see more and more like, okay, hey, that's that chemistry coming in. I personally don't think it's really going to take long for them. You know, as they do obviously continue to learn this offense, that's going to add a little wrinkle into it. But you know, when you've got chemistry, you've got chemistry. It can come back. It's like riding a bike, honestly, with a quarterback like that. No matter, you know, I know they haven't done it together in the NFL, but they have worked out together throughout many all seasons, uh, not for the last couple, just given the situation with COVID and everything like that. But, um, you know, having that experience with each other, I think, is massive. And we've all seen it, whether it's on social media over the years, all this stuff of Derek Carr and these guys working out in the offseason, always at parks out here in Vegas, putting that work in. I think that's where we're going to see, you know, them kind of develop more of that. And, and I think, again, that's where it's going to be kind of like riding a bike for these two. Because, look, at the end of the day, like Derek Carr has had some pretty good weapons to throw to, but nobody liked Devontae Adams. And having a guy like that simply helps, you know, take it to that next level where you just have this dude that, could do so many different things. And that where I think if we're going to see this offense, you know, um, kind of unlock itself is the connection that both of them have and how it opens up things for both Waller, Renfro, and all the other guys on the offense as well. Well, and, and Jesse, before we let you go, I appreciate your time today, um, is the one question I have too, and it, it kind of went away, and everybody's saying the right things, which you certainly appreciate, uh, which is the Darren Waller situation, the contract he's going to get into camp, as far as we know, right? No, no indication that he's going to have any issue. They're working on something maybe for the long term. Um, has, that, has that been talked about internally? Do you hear any buzz about it? Or is it pretty much just status quo and they're ready to go and he's ready to play football? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it's not like not that big of a deal. It's not a massive talking point. I think simply because of, of who it is, that it's Darren Waller. I mean, he's such a chill guy. Obviously, look, he wants to get paid. You know, we all know that. Who wouldn't want to? But I, I think he's just one of those guys where he's like, every time that question does come up, he's kind of like, hey, look, you know, it'll happen when it happens. You know, I'm just in here working. You know, get the, the canned answer that you hear from a lot of guys. But I think when you look at this team specifically with – you know, Waller with Renfro, with Devontae, those are all like kind of non-ego guys. And I think mm. for that matter alone, I don't think any of this contract stuff, you know, is going to become an issue with Waller because I think he's confident that it's going to happen. You know, it's ha he's seen it happen with the guys before him. And I think now, again, it's just a matter of time. The big question is going to be, you know, what is that number going to be? Because you see you know, money thrown around to some of these tight ends around the league. You know, I see a lot of people pointing out the number that uh, David Njoku got, and they're saying, man, if he gets that, what's Waller going to get? You know, so that obviously complicates things. But I think, again, you see a situation where guys, you know, take a little less both on the money side and also on the stat side for what this offense, what this could be for them going forward. You know, we've seen the way that they've uh, structured these contracts. The Raiders are kind of giving themselves that three-year window to really go and get it. And I think that's probably what we'll see with this Darren Waller contract whenever it does come. But, again, I don't think that's something that – that he's super worried about, that the team is really, you know, letting become any sort of issue. I think, again, more so just like, a, hey, it's going to come when it does. And they got, I believe, what, $21 million to work with right now on the cap? 21. So we'll see yeah. if something does happen within the next week or so here. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And by the way, with you guys positioned so far from the team out on the field, 
doesn't News 3 have a drone or they won't let you do the drone or you got to get the well, drone out there, right? We do have a helicopter. Funny story. We actually, <laughs> our, our morning uh, our morning news crew thought it would be a great idea to send the helicopter out to training camp one day without asking us. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously that's a big no-no because you guys know this. I don't know if more than many of the viewers do. There's times where you can and cannot shoot practice. Uh, and John Gruden obviously wasn't happy. Will Kiss, the Raiders, Raiders PR guy, was not happy. We're He's looking over at us like, what the thing is going on? You know, why is your helicopter here? And so we're on the phone with our station like, what are you guys doing down here? You got to get this thing out of here. <laughs> Safe to say, no drones, no helicopters. Otherwise, we may be barred from going to practice. I, I don't want to take that chance. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the big three on the side, doesn't you can't deny, oh, that's not ours. Exactly. That's not ours. Well, it's Channel 8, <laughs> Channel 13. You know, no, no, they know who's it is. <laughs> oh, too funny. Jesse, as always, man, we appreciate it. We'll catch up with you maybe towards the middle or end of camp to get your impressions, but we certainly appreciate you spending time with us here today. Hey, for sure, guys. Always love hopping on with you. Looking forward to it. All right, there you have it. Jesse Merritt giving us a little insight. Mo, you know, we heard a lot. I, I, it's nice when somebody says some of the things that we've been thinking from the outside, right, Some for two people who aren't at practice all day long every day like Jesse is to kind of hear some of that, but that, that continued, I think feeling that this staff has this team in a position and focused on the right things and they're going about their business a certain way. Certainly uh, if you're a Raider fan, it has to make you feel good. Details, details, details. I have a feeling you're going to hear that word a lot during training camp. Uh, as he says, not like the other coaches or John Gruden staff didn't focus on details, but I think that's going to be a sticking point with this staff, especially now, he's, he did say Josh McDaniel's offense, he doesn't think it's going to be as complicated as Gruden's. But on the other side of the ball, with Patrick Graham thinking about throwing multiple things at offenses, detail is going to be very, very important for that side of the ball. Yeah, it's all about executing, right? Execution, especially when you're moving things around. So it'll be interesting. All right, we are going to step aside for our first break. When we come back, Mo and I are going to dive into that defensive front. Yes, we know about Chandler Jones and, of course, the great Max Crosby uh, with his new contract and being very, very happy and living his best life. But at the same time, we have some questions on the interior. So we're going to get into that as we continue our preseason, pre-camp position breakdown on Silver and Black today. Of course, an Odyssey original podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these words. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Silver and Black today, Odyssey original podcast. We cover the Las Vegas Raiders. Raider Nation, shout out as we get set to do our next position breakdown, and that is on the defensive line. That's right. We're going to go one of the positions of focus, I think, for the Raiders this offseason, as we've talked about. And of course, uh, welcome back in my co-host, Mo Moten. And Mo, we, we talked about Patrick Graham in the first segment with Jesse and how he wants to move things and switch things around there and keep it fluid, if you will. Uh, and on the interior and on the defensive front at the edge as well, defensive line coach Frank Oka came over from the Panthers. Uh, he's got a different philosophy, too, that I think is going to, in my view, is going to benefit this Raiders team, including Chandler Jones, including Max Crosby. That defensive line last year that he coached in Carolina, 52 total sacks, uh, they allowed just 305 yards a game, which is good for second in the NFL. But they did allow almost 24 points a game, which was 21st in the NFL. When you look at Frank Oakham, what he did in Carolina, the talent you have and the philosophy that's coming in with Patrick Graham, how do you think that these players will fit into that system and with that new coaching input? I think they've upgraded the coaching staff all the way around. Um, what do you think uh, of Frank Oakham and what he's going to be able to do? I think you're going to expect an aggressive defensive front. Of course, now he had an even man front, mostly in Carolina. The Raiders are probably going to run a mostly odd man front. But when you look at Derek Brown, Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, who just signed a big deal in Philadelphia, those guys were, were proactive and they were they were aggressive up front. Uh, 11 sacks, I believe, for, for Hassan Reddick, nine, I believe, for Brian Burns. And he was a pro bowler. So if you look at those numbers, you got to like what he can translate over to the Raiders' defensive line. Now, the Raiders have a young defensive line. Of course, Quentin Jefferson out. 
Solomon Thomas out. Uh, Darius Fylon, I believe, is still a free agent. The Raiders hosted him for a visit, but didn't sign him. Of course, he tore his patella tennis. That may be part of it, but new defensive line. Again, young outside of Jonathan Hankins, who I believe may split snaps with Neil Farrell Jr., who's a fourth-round pick in this year's draft. But Matthew Butler and, and also, um, as I just mentioned, Farrell, I think those two guys are going to have to provide the depth along the line. Of course, Bilal Nichols, I believe he's getting seven to $8 million guaranteed. He's going to be, I believe, the linchpin that's going to have to be on field for all three downs. I think he gets about 70% of the snaps. I think he was an underrated player in Chicago, could pretty much grow on that Las Vegas Rays defensive line. Yeah, and we look at that front. We, we talked about the stats. They, they rushed the quarterback well, but they gave up a lot of points. Was that a, a situation where Frank Oakham and that team and Patrick Graham now with the defensive scheme, that they're going to pressure the quarterback? So that's, of course, going to put more pressure on that young, as you mentioned, defensive backfield. Is that what we saw a little bit in Carolina with that that kind of the, the points per game number kind of jumping up a little bit? You also have to look at Carolina's offense. Remember, football is a complimentary game. So if your offense is not moving the ball well, you're putting your defense in bad situations. I Just doing the research, the uh, Pan- the Panthers, I believe, were top three in worst uh, field field positioning. As far I believe they had the worst field positioning of any defense. At the, they started at their own 33-yard line. So you're mm-hmm. thinking about it. You're giving the offense a short field to, to, to go through, and that's a lot of pressure on your defense. By the way, the Giants were also in the top three. We'll talk about a little bit later in his defense but again if your offense is not moving the ball puts a lot of pressure on your defense yeah no doubt about it all right let's now let's shift to uh the players at the positions and let's start with the edge of course everybody's focused on max crosby chandler jones but you have cleland farrell still there and probably the last throws if he doesn't come through which we don't know yet um and, and they talked about moving him back outside a little bit as well and you talked about as well matthew butler and some of the other folks there what do you expect out of this edge group uh and max crosby chandler jones chandler jones still a great player i know people are excited about him but is there any reservation there what does he need to do better than what we saw last year in order to be as dominant on the other side as max crosby is on his side I think as long as Chandler Jones stays healthy, he'll be fine. Maybe he's not the dominant player he was four or five years ago. Now, mm-hmm. just keep in mind, I believe he had 10 and a half sacks last year. Just keep in mind, he had five in one game, I believe, against the Tennessee Titans. He he he, he tore up uh, Taylor Lewan <laughs> in that game. And Lewan pretty much said, you know, th- this guy basically dominated me in the trenches. So I'm, half his sacks came in that one game. So could be a little misleading when you look at the sack numbers, but still a pretty solid player on the outside. I think he'll be a better run defender than Yannick Ngakwe was edge. So you get an upgrade in that sense. Now with Max Crosby demanding some double teams, I believe Chandler, Chandler Jones will get some one-on-one uh, matchups. And he did say, I believe he was on a, he was on a show two weeks ago, he said you can't double team both of us. And if you double mm-hmm. team one guy, I think the other guy can win his matchup. And also on the inside, if, if they're double teaming on the outside, your interior guys, Bilal Nichols, Matthew Butler, if he starts, Jonathan Hankins, I know he's not much of a pass rusher, but those guys have to be able to push the pocket as well if, if they're ganging up on the guys on the outside. You know, Mo, at, at times uh, under the Gruden coaching staff, we heard last year too about Malcolm Kuntz, a lot of good things about him. Um, what do you want to see from him uh, to, to play into that rotation and to be a player that perhaps can at least contribute? I don't think he's going to be a dominant player in the NFL based on what I've seen. What's your thoughts on Malcolm Coons? Natural progression from him. Um, he had, I believe he had back-to-back sacks last year, one against yep. uh, Washington Commanders and against Kansas City Chiefs. Then you didn't hear too much about him, but he had some flashes. So he's going to be out there probably as a, a situational pass rusher because I believe Kyle Fass, was going to be the third best edge rusher on that defense. He played two years, I believe, under Patrick Graham. Played under him in Green Bay. He had 10 and a half sacks one year. Then reunited with Patrick Graham in New York. I believe he had three, four sacks there. But uh, he knows the system, so he's going to be a media plug-and-play player. Coons would be, the, the, I believe, the fourth guy on that on that edge rusher list. Uh, Cleveland Farrell, as you mentioned, were probably mixed between the edge on the inside. So I wouldn't say he's a pure edge rusher. I wouldn't say he's a pure interior defensive lineman but he's going to be moving back and forth so he'll be fluid but the guy I would keep an eye on Kyle Fackrell is the name I would watch there you go you have it for most Radamus. uh let's go on the inside now one of the guys that I know we we've talked about and you've mentioned quite a bit not only here on silver and black today but also in your pieces up on uh Bleacher Report and Sports Not which is uh Bilal Nichols from who they signed from the Bears uh, a, a guy inside which I think 
the coaching staff seems to be pretty excited about it, what, could, what he could do. What did we learn about him in Chicago? And why do we think he could take the next step and be that guy in the middle that the Raiders need him to be? Hate to use this cliche, but he's got an endless motor. He's going to get you the, the effort sacks. He's not going to give up on a play. He's going to chase a running back 10, 12, 15 yards down the field. He's not exactly, I know we, I know I made a point to say that Patrick Graham was going to add about 300 pounds to the defensive line. I believe Blau Nichols is a shade under. I believe he's in the 290s. Uh, so he's a very athletic big guy. So he can get after it on against the run and against the pass. Again, I think at his young age, in his mid-20s, he'll be able to blossom into a into a, a 60 to 70% defensive snap player. And I, I look out for him to make take a big step with the Raiders. And what is it about uh, Matthew Butler coming out of Tennessee? Uh, this kid looks really strong, and I've watched the film looks really good and and I think they 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 got a nice pick there uh, on paper but what is it about his game and fitting in that scheme fitting in that group that we talked about Jonathan Hankins the veteran like you said not a big pass rusher but does a nice yeoman's job in the middle what is it about Matthew Butler that should excite Raider fans first of all I think Matthew Butler is actually going to be the star in that defensive line I've been saying that oh. you know for, for weeks now I think he's actually going to start over Vernon Butler the the, the veteran who Hasn't really done much over the last two years with the Bills. I believe he had six sacks in 2019, but it's been quiet since then. Matthew Butler is the guy coming out of Tennessee, played in a very front out there in, in Tennessee. So he's used to uh, sub packages and base and coming out nickel and just being aware of what he has to do, his his role, his job in certain packages. I think he fits in very well with that defensive line philosophy with uh, under Patrick Graham to be an immediate contributor. He did show some pass rushing prowess in his last year at Tennessee. I believe he had five sacks and eight and a half tackles for loss. So you did see that part of his game. And if he blossoms in that aspect, he's going to be a playmaker on that front line. Well, here's the question, Mo. I mean, you have these pieces that they've brought in. They obviously had churn. You talked about who's gone and who, and we've talked about now who's come in. Um, looking at and paper's paper, right? You got to get it done on the field. But looking at what they've done on that defensive line in this offseason, do they have the talent? to make that get that push in the middle that they've lacked really what for four or five years they've had moments where we saw some of these guys come in and do some good things but they've also had some big misses again former coaching staff different regime but what is it about this unit that gives you hope that they can get it done i believe the flashes were there last year between farrell neil farrell jr and matthew butler i think you should be excited about both guys coming out of college basically i wouldn't say after their best year for farrell i mean Maybe his uh, next to last year, his penultimate year, was the best year for him at LSU. But I'm really excited about Matthew Butler and Bilal Nichols being the bookends on a defensive, on a tier defensive line because I think both guys can get after the quarterback and stop the run. And then you have Jonathan Hankins, who we know is a pretty solid run stuffer. Farrell is going to be his guy. Is going to be his eventual replacement probably next year. I would say the end of this year possibly. I actually had Hankins on on a bit of a hot seat. Hankins didn't practice during the spring. And I think that's because, you know, he's a veteran, so he doesn't really need to show much in those workouts. But if Farrell shows something during the spring, I think he's the guy that can take over the starting position over Hankins eventually. They didn't sign Hankins to a huge deal. I don't think he's making $2.5 million on his one-year re-signed deal. Mm -hmm. So if Farrell shows something at camp, he can actually take over that position and start. So there's a lot of youth there, so there's a lot to be excited about as far as upside. Yeah, and and before and, – and and I agree, Mo, and I think it's, it's a situation where I, I think – it's it they upgraded significantly in my view, uh, especially, but it's it's kind of a sneaky upgrade, right? It's not big names. You didn't go out and sign some of these guys that that fans might have wanted to see on the the transaction sheet, but uh, they've gotten better and I think they've gotten quicker too, right? Which is important, uh, especially in the AFC West. And I know we're not gonna do a separate position breakdown, but before we head to the break, linebacker. Let's talk a little bit about linebacker. You did your 53 man projected roster, your early one before camp up on sportsnot.com. If you haven't read it, I suggest you go do that. Talk about that linebacker position, which has been kind of a black hole. Of course, we know the Corey Littleton, a very expensive experiment did not work. Um, how's that shaping up and how's that going to fit into that Graham system, which is different than what Raider fans are used to seeing. Before I dig into linebacker, I just want to put a bow on defensive line. I think defensive line, coach Oakham is going to Frank Oakham is going to be similar to Breston Buckner. And you're going to look at those two guys similar both mm -hmm. former players both played the position so a lot is going to boil down to coaching and I feel good about Frank Oakham. But as far as linebackers are concerned, I had some surprises in my 53 man depth chart. I had Darian Butler making it the undrafted rookie out of Arizona State. 
I believe uh, Antonio Pierce, who's the linebackers coach with the Raiders and was the defensive coordinator and co-defensive coordinator with Arizona State, can get the best out of him. I believe Jayon Brown and Denzel Perryman, who just had a Pro Bowl year, are going to be your two main linebackers. Now, people can say, well, what about Devon Diablo? And I will say Devon Diablo did play well at the end of last year when they decided to bench Corey Littleton. But when it comes down to experience, I believe Jayon Brown has about six years of experience. And he was a pretty solid starting linebacker for the most part with the Tennessee Titans. I think he edges Devon Diablo. But the three of them will play in a rotation uh, between Perryman, Diablo, and Brown. They'll all get significant snaps but the two main guys perryman and jam brown the two guys i think are going to get the most snaps at linebacker then divide diablo will fill in fill some gaps and spell for both guys yeah no it's good yeah the the the, the that's the one thing too and not to just disp- put dispersions on anyone else but i look at each of the position coaches on this staff and to me significant upgrades not only based on their history but their personality when you read the bios when you see where they've been and what they've done. And, and Josh McDaniel has been very good about putting these guys out there to talk to the media too. So you get a sense mm-hmm. for kind of who they are and their philosophy. And that's important because the media can ask. I know a lot of you think the media asks stupid questions all the time, but we actually ask some good <laughs> ones occasionally. And uh, I think in this case with these position coaches, you saw that happen uh, really, really uh, in overdrive as they were trying to get these new coaches in and get them exposure to the media. All right. We are now done with this segment. When we come back, Uh, We'll finish up a little bit on that. We're also going to ask some of those questions heading into camp that we have uh, as camp uh, gets underway this week, of course, in Henderson. It started yesterday, and we'll continue to roll on and get more significant as the week goes on. And that is around everything from chemistry to the McDaniels offense to uh, grasping the defense to how will the running back room shake out. So don't go anywhere. When Mo and I come back, we're going to talk through all those issues and any of the other news up on the board do us a favor make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get it whether you're listening on apple Podcasts, google podcast spotify uh, on the odyssey app wherever you get it do us a favor go subscribe give us a five-star rating we'd appreciate that as well also a quick shout out if you want to watch us especially mo got this killer new camera so you could see him even better now um check us out on youtube you can follow us on youtube.com slash silver black today we'll step aside we'll come back and we talk more raiders football here on silver and black today an odyssey original podcast welcome back silver and black today mo moton scott colbranson we are your guides through the latest in raiders football if you want to keep up with raiders football make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast you can also download the free odyssey app which is where i listen to it yes i just like to listen to mo over and over again not myself just mo (laughs) Right, Mo. I, I, uh, it's funny because I rather I rather listen to you. I don't like hearing myself. I, I for just just no listening to me out there. I think I actually sound different in person. For those who know me, you'd know I sound yeah. a little different in person than I do over over video. But, right, but. you have your your radio voice on now, right? It's, no? it carries around? over the air. It's 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 <laughs> odd. It's an odd dynamic. I'll explain well, that. Later. And, but. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so, so you could do that on the Odyssey app. You could do it wherever you get your podcast. Shout out to Mo's got some great family. They're subscribers. They live down South and they're listening to us. So shout out to Mo Moten's family down there uh, as our loyal listeners. We certainly appreciate uh, you guys listening out, and everybody wait. out there. Yeah. Shout out. Shout out, to Ad- shout out to the Moten family, the Adams family out there watching me in North and South Carolina. I appreciate y'all uh, family upstate New York. All the subscribers out there, you see, if you see all the, the comments and the, the great comments about me, it's probably my family, but you can join them <laughs> and say something nice about me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you get, we're getting all the nice Mo comments. Um, but Mo, speaking of comments, so so we have this kind of third segment. We're going to get into some things, but I, 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 I didn't address it at the top of the show, but I want to now, which is our last show last Thursday, our interview with Marquette King, right? We really wanted to talk to Marquette because we just found the story fascinating I like the young man. I'll be honest. I, I just in us talking to him off the air and whatnot. And yeah, it's, it's a little glimpse. It's not uh, an in-depth conversation or getting to know the guy over a meal or something like that, but I kind of like it. I wanted to hear a story. Um, and the story blew up, got, got picked up nationally on all sorts of website, including your employer over at Bleacher Report, uh, as well as a bunch of others. And I was, I was surprised. I mean, a lot of folks in favor of, but a lot of people, I think, were turned off a little bit because they felt, although Marquette, I thought, did an amazing job. He said, yeah, maybe it was because of hate. I don't think he insinuated, although he's talked about it in the past, 
that it was a racial issue per se, right? But but certainly it was that issue was there. And I, I saw the reaction from folks and it was really interesting because um, I like to hear people, I don't disagree, I don't agree with everybody I, I, I hear or listen to conversations, but I, I get them for value to listen to, to try to put myself in that person's shoes and understand. And I still may disagree, but I find myself better off at least hearing them out. And I thought Marquette did a good job with that. I also thought that, that he did a fine job of kind of just explaining to him why it matters. Um, were you surprised at all by the interaction or is that how you thought it would go as far as the Raider Nation out there reacting to the interview? To me, there are two camps. There's one camp that says, you know, he played great for us, didn't love the penalties. No one does, but he played great for us, and I wish him the best. And there's another camp that says, what is he crying for? You know, he his you know his attitude is <laughs> what got him cut, and I get all of that. And when he – I just want to say, I don't want to put words in his mouth when he say, I think it's hate, and you said, I don't think – you don't think it's racially infused. I, I think it's more of hate for his – quote-unquote, hate for his personality. I, I think he felt yes. like his personality wasn't a fit for that coach's staff, and he didn't like that that his personality, the way he carried himself on the field possibly. And they wanted to send a message to say, okay, we're not going to tolerate this, so we're going to let that go. So that goes for all of you. If you're, if you're going to follow behind the Marquette King and, and and out there and show too much passion, we're, we might let you go because you're not a personality fit for this roster. Yeah, and maybe this isn't the best turn of words, but I always look at situations, and it's never black and white. And I'm going to talk about race. I'm talking about why he was cut. Everybody – I, I engaged with some people who were like, well, he got cut because of uh, the way he acted in the locker room. Well, no, the sheet that he published that showed why he was released from the Raiders, it said performance. Now, maybe the Raiders were not being truthful with that and they wanted to do that. It's easier to check that box. I don't know why. Maybe that's why. I don't know. Um, but I always find it interesting that, that people jump to the conclusions. And I understand punters should not get penalties. They should not have one penalty, right? Unless it's a procedural penalty, penalty or something. But it's interesting, everyone's perception and perception is reality. And I think this is where Marquette has to overcome that and change people's mind. And that's on him, which is this idea that he had so many penalties. And I kept popping back because I did the research. He had five penalties in five years. Now, there was two games back to back where he had big penalties. And I think that's why in people's minds, they think he had so many penalties. Now, again, a punter getting five penalties in five years, that's a lot. I get it. And if he was a quarterback, nobody would mention it. I think positionally, too, people don't have it. But remember, you talked about complementary football, a kicker and a punter. The Raiders are very, very fortunate. They have two of the best in the game in Daniel Carlson uh, and A.J. Cole at punting now. And so they're very lucky. So Raiders fans are now spoiled by that. Uh, but but I, I like the redemption story. I don't care who it is. Uh, and, and I was glad to have that conversation and certainly appreciated everybody's feedback, whether you liked it or not. Uh, some people, I, 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 the first three minutes that I checked out, I'm like, okay, well, you didn't give him a chance. You didn't hear the rest of the conversation, which was unfortunate. But, uh, but I just wanted to close the loop on that one, um, and thanks for all the comments. But going to training camp, we started in Henderson on Monday. It's now Tuesday. Um, Mo, I want to get from you. We talked about positionally the questions that you have going into camp that the Raiders need to answer to have a successful 2022 season. But what else for you, what are other burning questions as you head into this camp this week and into the preseason come the first week of August in Canton? Not too many questions on offense. It, it, I mean, the pecking order, maybe how are the carries going to be distributed between the running backs? There'd be questions there. Of course, the offensive line, but I think pretty much we – I think Alex Leatherwood is going to start. It's just where he's going to start. Is it guard or is it tackle? Because I, I believe – and Jesse mentioned it. Colt Miller is is the lock there to start left tackle. I believe Andre James is pretty much a lock, although he's going to probably get a little bit of a push from Dylan Parham, the uh, the Raiders' first draft pick out of Memphis. But for, And I think John Simpson is probably going to start at left guard. That's not a guarantee, but I think he's pretty much the front runner for that. I, I think the questions are is just right side of the offensive line. I'm still going to harken back to the defense because – you're getting yeah. a new defensive coordinator. Uh, Patrick Graham didn't necessarily bring in a lot of, quote-unquote, his guys from the Giants. Logan Ryan went to Tampa Bay. Jabril Preppers is not with the Raiders. So I, I, that's, this is why I asked Jesse, how are the players taking to their new defensive coordinator? Because, as I mentioned, last year, Gus Bradley brought a lot of his guys, most notably Yannick Ngakwe, who played under him in Jacksonville. So you're getting guys who are being exposed to a new defensive coordinator, a new philosophy, and – those guys have to pick it up because this is a young group, so they're still growing. And then they have to learn a, a varied system, which may 
it be complicated. Now, you can look at it as complex, and that's good because then you can attack offenses in different ways, or you can look at it on the other side of the coin. Is it going to be too complicated? Because that was a criticism of Paul Gunther, that he put too much in the weekly game plan, and a lot of it didn't. He didn't use it during the game. So a lot of players are wondering, like, we, we practice this during the week. Are we going to use it? Are we not going to use it? And that's why you had communication issues. So I'm wondering how this defense is going to take the Patrick Graham. That's why I'm going to be looking at the defensive side of the ball, particularly the back seven. Not so much the front, the uh, defensive line, because, again, not a lot of options there. I know they brought in Tyler Lancaster. I didn't mention him in the last segment, but he also played under Patrick Graham. You're going to have pretty much a rotation. I want to see who's going to win that cornerback number two job we talked about last week. Again, I, I don't, I'm not going to mention his name 50 times, but Anthony Avery is the guy that I'm looking at at camp. Mo, what do you think of Anthony Averitt? <laughs> <laughs> think I think he's going to be great. Know. <laughs> but you know what? No, I, I listen, I, I think that was a very under-the-radar – I mean, I think people in the business knew, but I think overall from a league perspective, it wasn't one of those headlines on ESPN about this guy being signed. But for the Raiders, it's a big deal, and I think he's going to show out. I agree 100%. But you mentioned something I think is really important, and it goes back to what we talked about with Jesse Merrick at the top of the show. And that was how this, this, this front office, how this coaching staff does business. I thought under John Gruden, you talked about um, the, the defense and you talked about Gus Bradley going out and getting his guys. I'm doing air quotes. Um, that situation was, you know, you can get really comfortable and go back to what you know. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's best for the team. With this coach, with Josh McDaniels and his staff, there's no question who's boss. And yes, He's listening to his coaching staff. That's why I think you you saw a Matthew Butler get drafted, right? You saw uh, because uh, of, of that staff and who they know and, and how they've coached and, and their style, uh, they have influence there. But this kind of, hey, just bring in your own guys and do your thing is kind of over. And that's something, too, that excites me because uh, they're trying to get the best player. It doesn't matter whether he played for you or not. And also the versatility uh, on both sides of the ball. I think Jesse mentioned it. He mentioned Gus Bradley. And, you know, you know you're going to get cover three from Gus Bradley week in and week out for the most part. And I think with Patrick Graham, you're going to get a mixture of, of different coverages. And I think that's the exciting part that I think these players can take to that. Okay, this week we're going to run this game plan. You're going to be able to do this to stand the third, you know, and, and we'll see how it works against this offense. And I think that's something you look forward to because think about when you go to work on a regular day and you think about your job coming into your job and you know you're going to do the same thing every day whether it's going to work or not for you uh if you get mundane it can get very boring but if you come into your job thinking okay we're going to do something different it may work for you and if it works we'll keep it and if it doesn't we'll scrap it I, I think that's that's where the excitement is going to come in for the defensive side of the ball especially on the front line yeah i do and and i know we kind of know to your point you, you talked about the offense uh, and 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 the running back situation next show. So we're going to be back on Thursday. We're going to talk about running back. We're going to talk about wide receiver. Go ahead. No, you're going to talk oh, about okay. wide receiver. And I, I was hoping Jesse could get some get some passes in since he's a former wide receiver. Maybe he can get Carter throwing some targets down the field since he'll be on the other side of the field. Get him throw a 50 yard bomb. Maybe should ask. Yeah, we're going to have that. You know what? That's a great point. I'll, I'll reach back out to Jesse and say, Jesse, we need some video. We need some yes. video. You run. I want to know if Jesse can run routes, right? Yes. He can, let's see if he can catch, but I want to see what kind of routes he has. I want to see him run next to Hunter Renfro and see their route running comparison. I mean, the Raiders traded Brian Edwards, so why not? There's a, there might be a slot open yeah. if Tyron Johnson doesn't make it. If the Marcus Robinson gets cut, maybe Jesse can sneak onto the roster. I don't know. Maybe he's got a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we know, for example, we know uh, Hunter Renfro, we know Devontae Adams, of course in that wide receiver, but you just mentioned a few guys and we're going to get into that on Thursday. And then we're going to talk about that running back position. Cause to me, that's one of the fascinating things because you have Josh Jacobs and, and you have some of these guys that I think are going to make and in your 53 man projection, you surprised me a little bit, which is good. And we'll talk about that on Thursday as we break down that running back. Uh, but, but it's going to be, I also, I, it's going to be fun because I want to also draw out for Raider fans, Mo, how Josh McDaniels uses running backs because that's very different than the John Gruden pound the rock philosophy, right? It's very different, and I think it's it's more of different guys have different roles. Uh, that this is why I said I don't see Josh Jacobs getting 200 carries. He's had over 200 his his first few years. I don't. I think he's going to be in the 175, 190 area because he's gonna he's gonna lose some carries and touches 
to Kenyon Dre, to Brandon Bowen, to Zamir White, who I think is going to come on at the end of the year. But it's going to be very interesting. A lot of shout out to Raider fans who've been talking to me about the Raider running back position. They've been giving their input. And a lot of people feel like the Raiders are going to trade Josh Jacobs or Kenyon Drake or try to trade one of those guys before the season starts. I, anything is possible. But it is an interesting situation because you have four guys who can touch the football and all four guys are not going to get fed, obviously. So you wonder if they're going to pare down one. And it's not probably not going to be Brandon Bolden who comes over from New England. It's not going to be Zamir White who they just drafted. So you're definitely you're looking at Jacobs and, and Drake. Are those guys going to be on the roster once the season kicks off week one? Yeah, and I think also on Thursday we're going to touch on, even though they're not wide receivers, we're going to touch on tight ends too because I really want to dive a little deep on Foster Moreau because I know Raider fans love Foster Moreau uh, and what he showed, especially that rookie season. But what does he need to do to get better? So we'll explore that uh, as we talk about wide receivers and running backs on Thursday. So make sure, again, you subscribe so you don't miss the show. Uh, but we'll be back to talk about that on Thursday. Mo, we're at the end of another show. Thank you, my friend. And uh, we'll talk again on Thursday. It does going to get extra five minutes of airtime. I got this new camera. I figured, you know, we go a little <laughs> longer today. You know, I, the Odyssey checks didn't roll in yet. But, uh, you know, is, the more you support, you know, the better it gets. You know, next time you see me, I might be outside and, you know, on a lawn somewhere. So. Yes, we are. We are looking for that New York based <laughs> makeup makeup artist because Mo's demanding a makeup artist in his contract. And so we're, we're, try, we're trying to find it. No amount of makeup can help me, but uh, Mo might be able to. So anyway, but Mo, my friend, thank you, man. We'll talk to you on Thursday. All right, we'll be back Thursday with more training camp talk, and of course, running backs and wide receivers and tight ends. And don't forget, you got to follow Mo. And he's just talking about it. he interacts with his readers and listeners uh, and our listeners on the show and his readers, both very active, always great conversation. We've got to give a, a shout out to our good friend, Shashi, because yes. he's always there talking about us. And uh, yes. we appreciate his support. He tells us when we're wrong. He tells us when we're right. Yes. And that's what I appreciate about him. So shout out to him as well. Uh, also, all right. Also, also, yes, John in, also, John in North Carolina who moved from New York to North Carolina. He's also a big fan of the show and my writing. So I got to shout out John. Uh, big time. There fan you of, go. Of the show and podcast. Yes. That's right. That's awesome. And again, follow Mo on Twitter at Mo Moton, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N and read his stuff up on Bleacher Report and Sportsnot.com. You can follow me on Twitter at LV Gully. The show you see in the corner right below me, SNB Tonight on Twitter, and then Silver Black, the number two day on Instagram. And I, Mo said he's going to start doing TikToks <laughs> to, <laughs> to NFL Films Music. So we're waiting on that, but he's got a big plan. He's got his crew together. He, they just need to find a studio to do it. So we're, we're working on it. So stay with us on that one. All right. For Mo Moten, I am Scott Branson. This has been Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. We will be back on Thursday. Thank you again. Take care, Raider Nation, and be good one to one another.